Hey everyone, Chris Lopez, and today we'll be talking about the Denver real estate market trends for August 2020. So in addition to the trends, we'll be talking about some national data, how the presidential election may or may not impact the real estate market, plus some foreclosure data. So before jumping these trends, I have to tell you, I did not have time this month to record the monthly property management update. I really enjoy doing those. Those are a priority for me to learn and get those out there. However, I took a vacation uh, in early September. It was actually an uh, eight-day canoe trip down the Green River in Utah. It was amazing, but also I had no emails for a week, so just came back. I was behind, and unfortunately, uh, you know, did not have time to record those property management interviews. Those do take uh, quite a few hours to record and get out there. So what we're going to do is already in early October, I got all the property managers scheduled. We'll do our next one, and we will talk about August and the September data in the same podcast. So make sure you catch that in two or three weeks when it comes out. All right, so jumping into trends for this is August, and generally I like to compare August 2020 to August 2019. It gives us usually better data because we do have seasonality out here in Denver. So looking at the active listings, you're going to see some dramatic numbers here in Uh, This August, we are about 5,500 active listings, and that's for all, you know, uh, one-unit properties, houses, condos, townhomes here in Denver. Last August, we were about 9,300. So that's a 41% decrease. So huge decrease there. And again, that has to do with all the buyers out there right now during COVID taking advantage of these low interest rates. And then plus last year is when we started seeing that inventory build. So so two things there to make it look like just a big uh, percentage swing. New listings, we're actually about the same as we were about a year ago. We're at 6,786 for this month. I'm sorry, for August 2020. Uh, August 19, we're at 6,742. So different than like 40 new listings. So nothing significant there. The next area that we're going to see a big jump in is in the pending. So these are properties that are under contract. In August, we're about 7,300 pending. Last year, we're about 5,500 pending. So about a 32% increase. And again, we're seeing that increase, again, uh, because... We really had no spring selling season this year because of COVID. And so all that's just getting pushed back right now. So we're seeing lots of pendings, which means we should see lots of closed in September. Now, here's an interesting one is the average price. Uh, We've talked about this quite a few times on podcast. The average price from August 19 to August 2020 has jumped up almost 12%. So from 485 to about $540,000. Now, does that mean all the properties in Denver have increased 12% in value? No, most likely not. And so a few months ago, we talked about how, uh, you know, the average price increase was really slowing down. And that's because the bigger properties, the ones that require jumbo loans uh, to finance, which is above that like $575,000 loan balance for a normal conventional loan here in Denver, all those bigger properties with jumbo loans, once COVID hit, the jumbo loan market froze. Because uh, that's a completely different market than the conventional stuff. So now that market is functional again. It's working. So that means a lot of buyers can go out there and start buying these larger and more expensive homes. So we're seeing uh, a lot more of those homes being sold now since for a few months there they're not being sold. While in addition, we're seeing 
uh, lower activity in the really like um, first-time home buyer lower price stuff. And so we're seeing a huge discrepancy there, or I'm sorry, we're seeing a huge jump there in the average price. And that's because we're selling a lot more of the bigger stuff and a lot less of the smaller stuff. And I think we're selling a lot less of the smaller stuff because a lot of the entry home buyers, you know, a lot of them, a lot of those people are the ones unfortunately getting crunched um, by COVID, either, you know, entry level jobs or lower paying jobs, and they either don't have a job or they're just, you know, uh, financially tight or worried about what may happen next six months. So we're seeing less demand there on that really lower price stuff. So selling lots of higher price stuff, not selling as much lower price stuff. Therefore, we're seeing a big jump in the average price of about 12%, and the median is up just over 9%. So, you know, maybe we might see next spring and like in you know, that March, April, uh, May timeframe, the normal hot springtime in the market, assuming COVID is somewhat under control. Um, I think we will probably see a lot more of those entry-level homes getting sold out there. And so we might see an adjustment in those, um, you know, the percent in in price appreciation. So if you're seeing these big headlines, understand that's kind of what's going on in the market right now. Uh, some other stats here. Days on market, no surprise here. They are down quite a bit. The average days on market in August 2020 was at 23 days. A year ago, we were at 31 days. So, you know, about a week, a little over a week less of properties days on the market. So overall, I know through a lot of stats that you there, but overall, we are still very much an extreme seller's market. There is hot demand out there for, for properties. Uh, the detached single-family homes, so those are your normal homes with, you know, now they're not condos and not townhomes. Those are the most competitive price segment right now in the market because, uh, you know, just a lot of people are buying them and going out there and getting those under contract. The best word I can use for that is brutal. Uh, there will be people lining up now with COVID. There's only, you know, one, one group per time and per houses. There will be people lined up on the front yard or lined up with their time slot to go walk the property then wait for the next person. So lots of showing traffic out there and then lots of offers coming in those properties. So that is the most competitive market right now. And let me, one more stat I wanted to talk about um, was actually going back to the average price. So breaking down this price segment, since I mentioned detached homes, maybe think of this. So the detached homes, if you just price out, break out that segment, they're up like 14% in sales price, or I'm sorry, in the average price, while condos are up about 2%. So big discrepancy there. And you can see the the homes is what's really pulling up the, the price average right there um, and not the condos. Uh, don't have all the nuances for that condo data, but my guess is since a lot of the the downtown market, which is heavily condo market, that is the one segment of the market we're seeing, um, you know, rental rates drop, uh, properties list longer, and just seeing a lot less demand out there. And so a lot of those higher priced condos downtown, they are just not selling like they were pre-COVID. And, you know, our guesses is probably as good as your guess, but hey, they're downtown right now. People move downtown so they can go to Rockies games and go to bars and go to, uh, you know, clubs and do all the fun stuff downtown. 
well, all that stuff is pretty much closed right now. No one knows going to open up again. Uh, there's been rioting. There's been all sorts of the issues. So there's not a huge allure to go downtown right now. So we're definitely seeing that condo market um, get a little stagnant on there. Now, that's the downtown stuff. Now, as you guys know, we don't recommend buying those. We never have. We don't sell those. We're buying a lot of the you know lower-priced condos that are below the medium price point in the suburbs. We buy in Aurora, we buy in Inglewood, we buy in Lakewood, we buy in Southwest Denver. Those are still um, competitive, and those are still, you know, as far as we can tell, they're still appreciating um, because we've bought a couple this year, more expensive than last year, more expensive earlier this, this year, and still lots of demand from renters out there. So just because you're seeing that condo prices are not going up nearly as much as homes, Understand that that's most likely the the downtown, more expensive condos that are not selling. But the stuff that we're buying as investors, those I think are still good investments. I closed on another one early September, like September 2nd or September 4th. So nothing you know scared me away from that market. Just stay away from the downtown condo market, which I think everyone listening to the podcast probably has, at least all of our clients has. So that's all for the stats right there couple of things I want to go about, just some interesting news articles. Uh, got a couple snippets here from uh, the National Association of Realtors, so NAR. So they said that Colorado has two of the top 10 work-from-home counties. One is Douglas County, which came in second, and Broomfield came in eighth. So Douglas County is doing, or I'm sorry, Colorado with Douglas and Broomfield County, they're doing well. Uh, the one that took the top spot is Forth, Forsyth County, F-O-R-S-Y-T-H. That's actually in Georgia, uh, just north of Atlanta. They took the number one spot. In another uh, just study they released, and I'm just going to read this, Denver has the fifth best real estate market out of the cities with more than 300,000 people. Seattle scored the highest followed by Nashville and Austin, and Colorado Springs came in at number four. So Denver was five, Springs was four, and then Seattle, Nashville, and Austin. I'm not surprised to see Nashville and Austin up there. I was a little surprised to see Seattle, but, you know, those are all good markets, so they're all doing, you know, extremely well uh, so far during the market and just, you know, should be very robust, you know, over the upcoming months and everything. So moving on down some other trends. Now I'm looking at the chart here for the Your Castle Showing Trends. Oh, and I forgot to mention the beginning. If you guys want to see these charts or see the exact numbers, click the show notes in the link, and you can go through and see all these notes and sh- see everything on here. So I'm looking at the internal data that Your Castle tracks for listings that they have based off of data that they can track through the app that you know agents use to schedule showings. So it's what we've described in the past. Um, we are continuing to see strong showing data. So in July, it was right around like 10 and a half showings per properties. In August, it's up slightly than July. So it was right around like 11 showings per property. So in 2019, 2018, 2017, they're right around about eight showings per property. So even though with the, you know, the uh, lower inventory, the hoops we're having to jump through now to show due to COVID, we're actually having more showings per property than they were over the last three years in August. 
So showing activity is staying very strong, which, you know, correlates all the other data we're talking about with, uh, you know, big demand and a very seller, a very active seller's market out here. So now I want to jump to another section, and this is a a great chart that actually Lon Welsh emailed out that came from the Wall Street Journal. I'll do my best to describe it, but if you want to see it, click on the show notes. It's titled, No Foreclosures on the Horizon, and this is national data that CoreLogic compiled. So it shows a percentage of mortgaged homes with less that are worth less than their debt. So that means houses that are underwater. Hey, the house is worth two hundred, and the you know the homeowner owns two hundred twenty thousand dollars on the property. So in two thousand ten, uh, you know two thousand ten two thousand eleven timeframe is right around a twenty five percent of all homes that have mortgages uh, were underwater, and then it started going down in twenty fourteen timeframe is right around like thirteen fourteen percent. In 2016, 2017, we're at like 6, 7%. 2018, 2019, around 4%. Now in 2020, um, we're actually the lowest this 10-year chart is showing. It looks like we're around about 35 to 4%. So it's only showing about 3% of homes are actually underwater. And that's on the national level. And I think Colorado is up there. It actually might be a little bit better. And so that's why I don't think we're going to see a huge spike in foreclosures or distressed properties. Because even if a, por- a person unfortunately loses their job or need to sell their homes due to economic or COVID issues, they're going to be able to most likely sell that house because they have equity in there. So they can go the traditional route to go sell it. And even if they're tight on payments, uh, since you know Colorado and many markets around the country are in a seller's market, they can probably still sell it pretty quickly get it closed, pay off their mortgage balance, and actually walk away with some money as well. So you're not going to see a bunch of short sales and foreclosures, I don't think, just because people are not underwater on their homes. All right, the last thing I want to talk about is, is the presidential election going to impact real estate? We've talked about it in previous ones, saying, hey, starting right around this time, like late September, early October, we might see a relatively good buying time in the Denver market. Just because historically, uh, the market slows down a little bit once we hit the presidential election every four years. So this is some national data uh, from a research analyst analyst company called BTIG. So this is just some data from them, and this is national data. So in non-presidential years, there is a 9.8% decrease in November compared to October. And they say that's normal seasonality. However, in presidential election years, the typical uh, decrease has been around 15%. So about 5% more uh, slower than normal in those years. Now, in 2020, we don't know what it's going to be like. Um, you know, their guess is that they think the with the low interest rates that that's going to still be the main driver rather than the presidential election. So they don't think there's going to be a, a huge slowdown due to the presidential election. And I'm recording this podcast on September 22nd, so right around the end of September. And this is, you know, kind of when we start seeing the market slow down. And, you know, we don't have any data yet because we don't get that until like the end or the beginning of the month for the previous month, really. But from us just being in the trenches and boots on the ground, 
we're not seeing any slowdown. Now, maybe there might be one or two less people out there looking at property, you know, possibly, but nothing so far that we've seen from the day-to-day transactional process of showing properties, writing contracts, getting getting properties under contract. We have not seen any significant slowdown um, on there. Um, so this would be right when we might start seeing some time in a couple weeks. We'll hopefully have a better feel for it, maybe some data. But right now, I am not holding my breath uh, and being hopeful that we'll see a slowdown in the market, which might mean, hey, we might see a slightly better buying time. And this is part of the reason I ended up buying that condo I mentioned uh, just about three or four weeks ago that closed on September 4th because I had another chunk of money I wanted to place and go out there and just do, you know, buy, buy a rental property. And I was debating, hey, should I, should I wait for this October window and maybe get something? And I decided not to because I said, hey, you know, if I see a good prop that meets my criteria, that I can get under contract, that fits my specs, I'm going to go and go under contract. Because I was like, hey, even if I get a, a couple thousand dollars off the property, it has such an insignificant amount uh, of impact on my down payment amount. You know, a couple hundred dollars less to have to bring to the table. And we're talking maybe 5 to $15 less a month in the mortgage payment. It was not enough for me to say, hey, I'm going to wait and just try to get something in this window. I said, hey, I like the interest rates. I'm in a comfortable you know, financial position. I'm going to pull the trigger and buy something once something meets my criteria. So I went ahead and moved forward. And I would recommend most people out there, and by the time you listen to this, we're going to be in that potential window anyway. Um, go out there. Don't wait for a blip in the market. I don't think we're going to see one here. Uh, take advantage of these low interest rates because I think we'll continue to see prices appreciate. Now, you know, kind of flipping the the other side, since most of us are landlords and, you know, uh, landlords out there and just doing rentals out there. Now, so far, uh, we've not seen any significant data drop off for renters not paying their rent. But I'm going to be really interested to hear what property managers have to say when we talk to them in a couple weeks, how August and September have panned out since the extra unemployment benefits of that $600 a week ran out at the end of July. So that we want to see, or I want to see that lack of unemployment, how much or is it impacting tenants' abilities to pay, um, you know, pay their monthly rent on there? So what I've done, and I know I said this before, but I'm going to be a broken record on here, is that I've personally upped my cash reserves per properties. And I usually keep around six months of PITI plus HOA in properties. Now I'm up at nine months per property. So I'm just going to a little bit more cash on hand, just be more conservative because, you know, hey, we might see more renters not pay their rent. I or you might be unlucky to have a renter that just, you know, it takes months to get out there to evict, assuming we can evict them. Um, so, but I do believe if you're financially well-prepared and got some cash reserves. If you can hold on the property and you unfortunately get one of these black eyes that some investors are getting right now, if you hold on the property for the long run, you're still going to be better off in five years than if you did not buy the property. So that's what I'm personally doing. Like I said, I've upped my cash reserves. The one thing I do know from uh, one of the property managers I was talking with, Ellie Reimer at Arrowwood, uh, they were able to actually go to the court last week and get uh, an eviction uh, approved by the court. And this is the first eviction that they've been that they've approved. The court's approved. And the first one I've heard so far since COVID and the eviction moratorium's gone through. And it was actually a tenant that was not paying rent before COVID, and they have just been you know 
in that unit now for eight months or nine months, I don't know, for a while, and they were able to get that tenant uh, you know, approved to get evicted. So that is good news if you're having one of those tenants out there that is, you know, uh, refusing to pay rent or refusing to to pay anything with you. Like I said, we will have a lot more data on the property managers coming out there in a couple weeks. All right. So that's it for this month's market update. Got any questions? Definitely email me. If there's certain data that you want to you want me to dig onto in future episodes, let me know. I love getting feedback. Email me, Chris at DenverInvestmentRealEstate.com. And make sure you do click on the show notes if you want to see these charts and all the data points I did talk about since we threw a lot of data at you. All right. Have a great one.